What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, and the star and the namesake, Victor Davis Hanson, is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. I got to tell you a little something about Hillsdale, Victor. And there is such as an avalanche of matters um, important to get your uh, views on, Victor. We'll talk about, I think we should, we'll start off talking about this store invasion of Nordstrom's out in California. We have issues about um, Catholics, practicing Catholics, not allowed to be foster parents in Massachusetts, practicing Catholics being much more of a target by the FBI than the FBI has had uh, uh, admitted to. We have charges coming up likely this week against Donald Trump in Georgia, and and if we have time, a piece about the January Sixth Committee, and, and we and we have the special prosecutor we haven't discussed. Oh, oh okay. Are, I thought maybe you and Sammy had done that. Uh, well, we, we should do that. Yeah, we well, should do we, that right we, after, after. Yeah, we talk about Nordstrom's. Yeah, we touched it. We touched on it briefly, but I wanted to say a couple of other things. Okay, all right. Well, let's. Uh, we have some sponsors today, and I'll I'll talk about them later and about your website. And let's get to Nordstrom's right after these initial important messages. Ah. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Ah. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Uh, quick about Hillsdale. Victor, this past week, um, past Friday, I was uh, at the you know the Blake Center. I had mentioned this on a previous podcast. Someone, uh, the founder of Friendlies, which is a big chain in the East. I don't know how far west it went. Uh, ice cream sandwich shop uh, had built 
a replica of Monticello as a home in, on the uh, in Summers, Connecticut, which is on the border of Massachusetts, and he passed away, and his family left the property to Hillsdale, and Hillsdale's turned it into the Blake Center, and they had a huge event up there. The other night, uh, Molly Hemingway came and spoke, Bill McClay and some others. I saw Larry Arn, and well, I just had to tell you, there's <laughs> people found out I, I hosted the Victor Davis Hanson show. Their VDH love was so effusive. Uh, and actually, Molly was gave her, when she gave her talk. She was talking a little bit about the the recent Hillsdale cruise, and that the it, the fun began even before the cruise began because she got to ride in a cab. She and her husband Mark with you and the great Mrs. Hansen on a, a cab ride over to the ship. I guess so. Uh, anyway, it was uh, uh, even though you were not there, you were beloved uh, in in spirit. I know you're heading out there in a in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, I have my uh, annual sojourn and um, lectures, et cetera. This year is the first in 20 years I'm not going to teach. I'm going to be lecturing, and then my tenure will be eight uh, eight days rather than the more recent two and then the earlier three, uh, three and then the earlier four and five weeks. So yeah. it's, a, it's a new type of um, guest lectures rather than a, a, a cat. Um, a continuous class, intensive class. So I'm looking forward well, to it. I, I I always like going out there. Yeah. And I just want to tip a hat to, to lovely Jean. I won't say any more. She was from, other than she was from Georgia and she had met you on the cruise. And yes. She, I remember yeah, Jean. Jean, yeah. She, she, she sought me out to let me know how much she admired uh, you in the podcast. So, well, Victor, um, uh, yeah, obviously the special counsel then is the is the uh, big story we want to get your thoughts on. But prior to that, uh, we've seen in the last um, two days, I saw it just just yes, I think it was late yesterday, this uh, ransacking of of a Nordstrom's in California. That was in Maybe Topanga Canyon. Yeah, that was in Topanga Canyon. That's really upscale. Right, and then, and then the other one in. Uh, a uh, Eve's um, Eve, excuse me, Saint Laurent in uh, Glendale, and that is a very peaceful, supposedly community. And but Jack, they're not stealing roast beef and rice. Right. These are upscale, uh, and Nordstrom is really upscale. And it, and you look at the videos; they're taking out high end. Uh, purses, um, clothing, jackets in both of these cases. So let's just dispel any idea that the needy are going in because they are victims of a capitalist system and they need to eat one more day. Wait, excuse and, me, Victor, which is why these shoplifting laws have been ne neglected. Uh, that's the pretense, right? Yes. Yeah. Nine hundred and fifty dollars is uh, makes it a, a a mere misdemeanor. But one of those bags <laughs> you saw, everybody had three or four. One of those bags is a couple of thousand bucks. So they weren't even worried. We've descended so much that the earlier shoplifting and the discrimination to be sure to not go over the 950s out the window. With the, we're in the age of the po post-George Floyd, defund the police, everything goes. And there's a bill in the, in the California legislature right now, I think in the Senate, state Senate, 
to penalize uh, store employees that might want to intervene. I think in one of the video clips from the Topanga Kanya, there's a store employee tugging on um, on the bag. And then there's some suggestions in that Modesto case where the two Indian immigrants have a stick hitting that uh, shoplifter that he they may face uh, an indictment. So uh, this is a new territory we're in. We're right back in the pre-civilizational period where people, I guess they ask, they organizing code or something on social media. They pick out a high-end store, they swarm it, and they have a, a, some assumptions. Number one, there will be no police. Number two, the security guards are a joke. They had bear spray in one, one instance. Three, if by chance somebody trips, falls, and is apprehended, then he will not be uh, arrested or if he is arrested, he won't be indicted. If he is indicted, he won't be convicted. We'll go through, as we've said before, if he's convicted, he'll serve no time. And so that means it's a war. One thing that I think is very controversial about this, Jack, is that, and I don't like to bring it up, but I we're saturated with collective racism. Collective. So all we hear, there's a professor, I think the University of West Virginia, uh, uh, excuse me, there's a professor, West Virginia is uh, slicing all of its world languages curriculum, but not its diversity, equity, inclusion classes. And we had another professor, an Asian professor, American, who said that when African-Americans attack Asians, it's because of white supremacy. And you can say white supremacy, white supremacy, white supremacy, white privilege, white privilege, white rage, collectively. That's okay. I mean, that means everybody. But you can't say the same thing about African-Americans. You shouldn't about anybody. But one of the things I'm getting at is if the so-called marginalized community is using collective terminology, then I guess that's the rule. Because the vast majority, if you look at the videos of the Glendale and Nordstrom and what we've seen in San Francisco are African-American youth. Let me note that California's population of African-Americans is about three and a half percent. And so if we were going to go by the left's proportional representation, 3.5% of those looters should be African-American, but they were overwhelming. And yet no one talks about this. And the only time we talk about race collectively other than whites who are all identical automatons who all benefit even as i said the proverbial forklift driver in Tulare who makes minimum wage and never been to college or nor his parents but nevertheless he's uh, a beneficiary of white privilege supposedly but we never talk about any other group and in this case I think somebody in the African-American community, instead of just using banalities and generalities, should say, if we talk about ourselves collectively without individual discrimination, i.e., it's this socioeconomic crowd of the African-American community, it's this particular geographical. No, we just say all blacks uh, deserve reparations. They're all blacks, this, this, this. Well, then why doesn't some civil rights leader say this is epidemic in California and other places? The African-American male between the ages of 12, maybe, and 35 is committing these smash and grab uh, 
de-civilizational crimes at a rate. Wow, probably if they're about they're about I think they're three and a half percent of the national. I mean, twelve percent African American, six percent male. Probably that age group is three and a half percent. They're committing this crime at an astounding, disproportionate ratio. And no one wants to address it. Why doesn't why does anybody address it? Why don't they just say in the in the mail or the the Daily Mail or the Newsweek or anything just say a group of largely African American and they don't they don't say it. And yet and yet they will say it about other groups. And I I don't get this. I I don't think it's it does the African American collective group any any favors. Right. I, Victor, first of all, for those who have not seen the, the video or the story uh, about this, in, just in one of those stores, there were 50 looters. I mean, it looked like uh, ants coming to a picnic and just, um, I mean, taking everything out of this uh, high-end section of the store. And the other thing is, as you say, Victor, to me, the someone who's reasonable would think these po- – particularly within the black community in America who cares about the progress and prosperity of blacks would think these laws are going to, they're going to come back to bite us in the hiney big time. Uh, America's America was progressing significantly racially until recent uh, years. And this is, uh, we've already gone backward thanks to Obama but these where is Obama? Laws, well, where, he's where, where is it? I mean, he's on Martha's Vineyard right now. Yeah, he's either uh, Martha's Vineyard or Oahu at the beach, but at his yeah. other mansion or his third mansion, pulling the strings of the Biden administration, Calorama. But he can't he can't miss any news item without coming out and blasting the supposed conservative forces of darkness. Where's Al Sharpton? Where's Louis Farrakhan? Where's Maxine Waters? Where's the Black Caucus? Where's anybody saying our black mayors in San Francisco and our black mayors in Los Angeles are confronting an epidemic of smash and grab mass looting that is disproportionately committed by African-American males, say, between 12, 15 and 35. And therefore, since we as civil rights activists use collectivist terminology, we will say that the black community must stop this unless you believe in some type of Marxist redistribution that this is just, oh, these are just high-end stores for wealthy white people. who So who cares? They have insurance and the people in need will take them and get another day of essential foods. If you believe that fantasy, I suppose you could justify your silence. But it's all it does is create greater and greater and greater disunity among the population because there are people there that are in that store right and they are trying to pay for things there are employees that are in danger there is a owner there is a manager who suffer it's not just these high end too they go into walmarts and all the and 7-elevens and we don't even think about this and at some point people are going to say the answer to these this violent crime among the African-American community way out of disproportion, whether we're talking about a Saturday night in Chicago or whether we're talking about Baltimore or San Francisco or L.A. or Memphis or Washington is not being addressed 
by having 50% of television commercials uh, participated in by African-Americans. That's a goodwill gesture to show everybody that we have to break stereotypes of our past. I get it. But that that therapeutic gambit is not stopping what are radical increases in inner city crime. And in some places like Chicago or Oakland, African-Americans are stepping up and saying, don't do this. Don't defund the police. Don't delegitimize theft. You are unleashing a criminal element within our own community upon us and others. But I, it's just amazing. Where's Gavin Newsom? And, and, you know, when you look at San Francisco and this has happened again and again in San Francisco. And when you have places like Whole Foods or Nordstrom's or others are packing up and leaving. Right. And you you hear this term now in San Francisco, doom loop, doom loop, doom loop. The more you have homeless, the more you have crime, the more you have smash and grab, the more you have carjacking, the more stores close down. I think it's got the highest vacancy rate in the United States. It's over mm-hmm. 25, 26 percent. And then people leave and then fewer people go downtown. So then you have fewer commercial transactions, less sales tax, less income tax, corporate tax, because these businesses are leaving and then less uh, municipal expenditures for police, public safety, public health, cleanliness on the streets. And it just spirals down into something like 1960s and 70s Detroit. And there's nothing stopping it because there's nobody. There has to be some brave person. And that's when I was getting back to that article I wrote about Leo Amory in Britain in 1939 and then again in 1940 when he he shouted down the labor surrogate leader, Mr. Greenfield, and said, who will speak for England? And then in 1940, on the day that. Three days before Germany invaded France, three days before Churchill had to take over and save the country, he said, be gone with you. And he was he was talking up to Neville Chamberlain, quoting Oliver Cromwell's attack on the short or the long the long parliament. So my point is. Somebody is going to have the some politician is going to have the guts to say, yes, there is bias. Yes, there's systematic racism, discrimination, but. The crime rate among young African-American urban males, to be very focused and accurate, is so far disproportionate to their three and a half percent demographic that we have to do something because they're going to destroy. If this continues, they're going to destroy this all of commerce. Right. Uh, And it can't it can't go on when you go into a store and you just swarm it and you loot and everybody sees that you're doing that, then the individual shoplifter says, hmm, well, maybe I won't do that. But if you're so blatant, you just walk in and you take over a store, then what's stopping me from just pinching here and pinching there? And we have an epidemic. And, you know, you've got to encourage the others by making, if you had taken that Nordstrom smash and grab and somebody had called the police and the LA had PD had, made a ring around that store. And as they came out, they just diverted them to one side, handcuffed them, put them on the curb, took all of the bags, put them in a big pile, had the um, 
employees come out and take back their merchandise and then get a huge bus with bars in the windows and put each person accused, not convicted, accused of theft or conspiracy to commit a felony or whatever the particular RICO charge and put them on and then followed up and give them five, six years prison sentence, it would stop. It would stop yeah. quickly. Well, Victor, you know, as, as much as the, these corporations uh, are the victims of this, they're also complicit. They, no, they, they created it. There's culpability here. Why even at smaller places, and we didn't talk about this a few few weeks back, like Lululemon, which, you know, I didn't, even, I didn't even know what the hell it was. Obviously, some hoity-toity little store, but employees who try to stop are, are uh, fired of try to stop shoplifting are fired. The corporate policies are to let this go on. They've helped create this madness there. And part of the madness is not just the stealing and the reselling of these items, but it's got to be the creation of these, uh, you know, new, new fold, new mafia type criminal organizations that are going to expand as time goes on. This is their venture capital, this kind of crap. Uh, I do, I do want to, Say a word for my old friend, your you know, Robert Augustinelli, our friend, because he he's involved with Saks Fifth Avenue as an as an investor. And in New York City, after the George Floyd riots, there were you know Saks hired these guys with um, with German shepherds to protect the stores. And it was like, damn, good. Here's a, here's some place saying no, you're, we're not going to permit this, we're not going to allow this. But it's a singular anecdote no and it's not corporate america is not is not because they're afraid to i think well i mean they, no they and what what the what people should do they have flexed their muscles and you can see what they did to anheuser-busch and target and disney and others they should just say this is a list of stores that whose policy is not to to react at all to looting or shoplifting just give them the names and then everybody should say, I'm not going in that store because if you go in that store, when these people are looting, you're it's dangerous. And if the store is not going to protect its own property, it's not going to protect you either. So I, I wouldn't even go into any of those stores whose policy is not to try to enforce the law or to stop shoplifting. Yeah. It's another indictment. Uh, there is a Home Depot where I live. And it's a smaller community, 25,000. And when I go in there about every fifth or sixth time, there's a Selma policeman in the parking lot and they've arrested somebody for, uh, I guess, smash and grab. I don't think they smash much, but running out with things. So there is a, a sense of deterrence. And when I go in there uh, after a particular hour, all of the... Uh, checkouts, especially the self-serve, are closed and everybody is funneled into one with a line. So if you go in there at 930 at night and it closes at 10, good luck. You're going to be in a line and everybody is metered out. And so there are stores that have decided they're not going to allow that to happen and they will take whatever, you know, right. steps they can within the law that can help. them. But ultimately, the people voted for this stuff and they voted for the proposition that decriminalized and they knew. And why did they do it in California? Because 25 years ago or so, we had three strikes and you're out and it worked. And we built 
a lot of state prisons and everybody got angry. They said, we're criminalizing the drug dealer who's just, you know, he's just satisfying a need. We should criminalize. We shouldn't decriminalize drugs or we're decriminalizing people of whatever you want to call it. But we had some of the safest years in California at the beginning of this millennium. And everybody got used to it. And they said, you know what? It wasn't three strikes and you're out. It wasn't the incarceration uh, of criminals. It wasn't the building of new prisons. It was human nature. We were so tolerant that everybody changed their nature and they got along. And now we don't need these laws. Well, no, human nature is constant. So we got rid of that law de facto. And now we have the survival of the fittest. And unfortunately, you know, the thing that also gets me angry about this is that there is no equality in the application of a law. So if you're in Glendale or Topanga Canyon and you're driving down the street and you hit by accident, even a pedestrian properly, you should be uh, stopped and you will be stopped and they will investigate that. And you may go to jail for reckless driving. Or if you're near that shopping center and you have a tenth of one point over the DUI level and you make a go through a yellow right too clear, too close to being red, and they pull you over and you've had three beers and you have 0.9, you're not going to have your car there. They're going to take it away. And they should. But my point is the law is being applied still across the board on most things that affect the middle class, but not the very wealthy, apparently, and not the underclass. And that's what that's why we have these cultural phenomenon now. You know, it's right. I mean, somebody has to ask why I was just driving down from the mountains today, Jack, and there's this guy, Oliver Anthony, this bluegrass singer who he just I, I think he'd been an alcoholic or you know, he wrote this song, All Those Rich Men North of Rich, All Those Rich Men North of Richmond. Richmond, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it's kind of a double barrel shotgun blast, but it's a populist, what is going on in this country? And then he's got another one. He, I, think, I think he's the first singer in history to have two, the number one and the number two songs on the top 10, not the bluegrass or country. I mean, all the right. charts. Right. Taylor, Taylor, Swift, everybody. So how can that be possible? And the reason is, is there is a growing anger, growing anger about the disparity of the application of the law, whether it's Hunter Biden versus Trump or whether it's smash and grab mass looting with no ramifications versus or, you know, versus right. some poor guy who is pulled over by the highway patrolman for going 75 in a 55 mile an hour zone. Good. Let's, let's ticket him. Let's give him a 400. But if you're going to give him a $400 ticket for speeding, then damn it, then you better arrest somebody for stealing $4,000 right. of goods right out of a store. And if you're not going to do it, then don't ever, ever say as a liberal media does, we don't want to, we don't want to return to vigilantism. That would be the, Undermining the rule of law. No, vigilantism is a pre-civilizational reaction to the lack of the law. It's pre-civilizational, and that's where we are. 
Right. We have destroyed the corpus of jurisprudence. There are no laws in many areas of our society. And therefore, you're starting to see vigilanteism, as we saw in Modesto, California. And those two guys that, you know, took the wooden stick, the one guy did, may, in the end, I thought he wouldn't be prosecuted in Modesto, but he might well be. It, it just kills me how all of these people get up and start yelling and screaming about vigilanteism, but they don't care about the average middle class person who, A, is a victim of theft or attacks right. or violence. And there is no there is no remedy through the police because they've either been defunded or they've been emasculated by the by the left who are screaming, don't dare. You can see why this is really important and how this dovetails into the whole Second Amendment debate. You can really see why the left does not want people armed because if they on if they destroy laws concerning theft or assault then the only remedy is the police and they control these big city governments and they can meter out or they can warp or apply here but not there uh protection depending on your politics or your perceived ideology Right. And they can't stand it. That is, the, the gun argument is very similar to the person in an individual car who distrusts taking mass transit, which is a nightmare today here in California. Bar, uh, I think the Muni mass transit in San Francisco is down by 60 percent from its pre-COVID. And BART, they don't even they have a policy. They don't they won't even release the videos of violent acts on because they think it might stereotype particular groups. So right. people respond by driving because you're king of the mountain in your own car. And the state hates those individual cars. That's why our, our whole freeway system is decrepit. Why we spend, you know, three hundred billion dollars on the high speed rail from Bakersfield to Merced. And it's the same thing with guns. Take away people's guns and they're dependent on a ideological government for their own security, which will demand a price from certain groups and not from others. Right. Well, Victor, um, we're going to uh, I think it's good to follow up with the uh, special prosecutor story. But first, I have a, a question for our listeners. Are you looking to instill the next generation with values of patriotism, faith, and a love for the traditional foundations that made this country great? It can be difficult to teach children complex topics like the Second Amendment, which we were just talking about, gender identity, or even the dangers of socialism. Why? Because kids often have a hard time grasping these complex ideas in a way that, one, makes sense, and two, is age Appropriate, And that's why I'm proud to endorse the mission of the good people at Brave Books. Every Brave Book teaches an important lesson at an age-appropriate level. As a former uh, magazine publisher, I'm especially jazzed that Brave Books teaches about the importance of freedom of the press in a book written by our pal, John Solomon, whose website, justthenews.com, hosts this, the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So listeners, as you wrestle with the real-world decisions of what is safe and unsafe for your children, grandchildren. Here's one easy decision for you. Introduce your kids and grandchildren to brave books. Do that, and you can rest assured that the beliefs in the books will align with yours. Your next step, it's simple. Go to bravebooks.com and subscribe to get a brand new book delivered to your door every month. Right now, you can get Brave's latest book, 
totally free when you subscribe today at bravebooks.com. Plus, you'll get 20% off your subscription when you use the code just the news. That's all one word, just the news. You won't regret this investment in your children and grandchildren. We thank the good people at Brave Books for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, um, yeah, I, I, I have to uh, plead innocent here a little bit to our listeners. Uh, I did not yet get to listen to the uh, episodes that you um, recorded with the great Sammy Wink uh, this weekend. Um, but you, you said you may have talked a little about the special prosecutor. We're talking about David Weiss, who Mer- Merrick Garland announced uh, would be the special prosecutor investigating Hunter Biden. This is the same pro- existing prosecutor that was cutting the ridiculous deal that a federal for Hunter Biden that a federal judge uh, blocked. Uh, about, I think two weeks ago or ten days ago. So, the, Victor, this is a a, a it's farce. It's it, Yeah, it is. Yeah. He's is basically. It, it, there's a lot of ways you can look at this. So. Why would he appoint as special counsel a DOJ federal prosecutor who had slow walked for five years the Hunter Biden investigation, which allowed many of his capital crimes to not be indictable because of a statute limitations by intent, I think, would would protect Hunter Biden. And then the judge who was honest had to step in and tell them this is a farce or I'm not going to accept this deal plus your immunity from any other crime that hasn't yet turned up. So why would you appoint that person as a special counsel? Why would you appoint a special counsel in deliberate violation of the law? The statute says they have to be outside government. Why would you pick somebody that's not only outside, not outside government, but works for Merrick Garland, and was involved in the case. I mean, when Jeff Session was under pressure by the left in Congress to appoint a special counsel to look in the fraud, the non-existent Russian collusion, he picked somebody outside of government, Robert Mueller. But Robert Mueller, even then, 
was supposedly, according to James Comey, his desired special counsel. And that's why he leaked the private memo with Donald Trump to prompt the appointment of what he thought would be likely filled by Robert Mueller. But the point is, what if that had not have happened? What if Jeff Sessions had appointed someone who was in the DOJ who had been looking at all of this and giving, you know, lectures that there was nothing to Russian collusion. At least he would be telling the truth. This man, Weiss, is not telling the truth when he basically had this sweetheart deal for Hunter Biden. But the left would have gone berserk if they had seen something like that. And yet they're, they're quiet about this or they're praising the appointment. So then we get down finally to why he appointed them. One, they are absolutely terrified of this story breaking out. Because when you go on television, if you're this representative Goldman or Schiff or whoever you are, Pelosi, and you say there's nothing there, then you've got a problem, Jack, because you're saying that Hunter Biden on his own laptop when he whined to his sister that unlike his father who took half of Hunter's income as the basically the cost of using his name, he wasn't going to do that to other members of the family and mention Mr. 10% and the big guy. Okay. And then there was Tony Bobolinsky. Devin Archer. We had eyewitness testimonies that Joe was involved in the business, that he phoned people, etc. Then we had a third source of information, oligarchs who claim that they have been uh, on a personal phone call with Joe. We'll see if they bring the tapes of Joe Biden. And then we have a fourth sense, and that is the whistleblowers, the IRS whistleblowers who say they were impeded in part by Mr. Weiss himself from following the log logical trajectory. And the logical trajectory was neither Hunter or Joe's tax returns in their view reflected the amount of real income they they derived, which would not be easily traceable within the confines of the United States although it might say in an offshore bank with either the money that they reported or the types of lifestyles they enjoyed. Joe Biden in 2016 filed for his 2016 income filed a return jack of like $400,000. The next year for his income in 2017, he refiled, he filed a return of $11 million. So what, what was so magical uh, he was getting royalties as vice president. What was so magical? Where did he get? Where did he get eleven times the income? More than eleven times, twenty times the income in twelve oh, months. And that's just teaching, what he reported. It was teaching one Saturday morning a month at the uh, yeah. University of Delaware. That's, you can that's count it up. You can count it up. You can count five or six hundred there, six hundred there. You can't come up with eleven million. And so that's what he reported. So there was all there were, and then we have the fifth. Uh, font of, of information. Does anybody believe that Jim Biden or Halle Biden or Hunter Biden or any of these people will have any revenue streams when Joe Biden is out of office? Why wouldn't he? Is they would get the Biden name 
Sterling Biden name? Would they get the uh, petroleum expertise or energy expertise of Burisma? They're international consultant. So obviously they have market value that because the left tells us it has nothing to do with Joe Biden. He was just calling about the weather. Fine. So as soon as Joe Biden is out of office and he can't run for president or he chooses not to, what will all of those eight or nine or 10 Biden's market value be? It'll be zero. Nobody will want anything to do with them. And now why would that be? And the answer is self-evident. And so, what I'm getting at, this thing is overwhelming. It's absolutely overwhelming. So they are paranoid about it. So they appoint this prosecutor. And what it tells all of us is they are more worried about this coming to the light of day under a genuine, disinterested, autonomous special counsel than they are uh, the shame, the rebuke of this skullduggery where they appoint someone who has a record of being biased and the appointment itself is in violation of the statute. And then there's a second reason. If Mr. Weiss is a special counsel, as sure as the sun rises up, that he was on the witness call list for the House Oversight Committee and other committees. And they're going to call him and he's going to say, I can't testify about any of those uh, decisions or anything that that explained why the judge re rebuked my plan for Hunter because I'm the special counsel. I can't do it. And you know what? I also can't give you any of the data or records that I was using in that investigation because I'm still investigating it. It's an ongoing investigation. The magic word we hear in Washington all the time. So that's what they're doing. And then there's a third subtext. Joe Biden's got to finish his term. Now, there's two threats to it, Jack. His mental and physical cognitive disabilities and his sheer corruption. If this thing is what I think most of us think it is, it is so egregious. We have never seen a sitting president who shook down foreign companies via his son who flew to China with him on Air Force Two. And it was and now we learn he was a crackhead for 16 years. And this guy is being entrusted by billionaire foreign entities because he has access to Joe, which Joe reaffirms every once in a while by calling in. But this thing is so egregious that it could be Nixon-like. Remember, Nixon was never impeached. Much less was he tried in the Senate after being impeached. He just resigned. They came to him and said, you know, this is overwhelming. Just leave. So that is what they're afraid of, that if this stuff comes out under a genuine special counsel, and he leaks like Robert Mueller's team did. I hope he doesn't, but he might because they all leak. And we see Jack Smith leaking. And all of these prosecutors are going to put a gag order on Trump, but they're going to leak like crazy. But if this were to happen, somebody might say, Joe, this is so overwhelming that even if they if you think they're going to impeach you in, in the House, but you're going to get off in the Senate, it's going to destroy our label. Or you're not almost non-complementous now. The stress of this will be too much for you. So we think you're going to have to step. You're going to have to finish your term, but you're going to have to not run for re-election. And so I think what we're seeing now is a paranoia 
that if they had a real special prosecutor, they might find something in the next year and a half to the degree that he might even have to step down or it it might be the coup de grace that means he's physically incapable. And then we know what happens. We get a 2023 or a 2024 or a January 2025 Kamala Harris. And they think that that person will ruin the Democratic brand for for two two decades. So what they're saying basically is, Joe, whatever you do, you're going to finish this damn term. You understand? I don't care if Merrick Garland has to humiliate himself. He's got he's got to put a lid on these investigations so you can finish your term. And you've got to be able to work more than a day or two a week, or maybe you can work six hours if that's what it is, but you're going to finish your damn term and you're not going to have going to resign and you're not going to be impeached or convicted. You got that because we cannot allow this mistake of yours to be the head of the Democratic Party for the next eight years or president, much less. And so that's what's behind it all. And everybody is stunned and saying, how can Merrick Garland treat people? We're not stupid. No, he's not. He didn't think you're stupid. He thinks he's he's got a way to stop you from investigating the Bidens. He's got a phony special prosecutor. He's got a concrete wall that he's built around the House Republican subpoena power. And he's got a way of squashing any controversy so that Joe can limp and, you know, stumble through. January of 2025. Oh. He's also got an FBI that, that lies to uh, Congress. And Victor, I think we should uh, talk about about that. Um, Director Ray, and I mentioned at the beginning, some Catholic related to Catholic related topics. And maybe we can lead into that. But first, but first, we have another. I want to take a um, uh, take a minute, Victor, to let our listeners know about um, another great sponsor, and that is Gold Co. And with the state of our economy, it's no secret. I'm a big believer in diversifying um, my money with precious metals like gold and silver. But when it comes to buying precious metals, uh, we all, I think, uh, need the right company in our corner. And that's why we've partnered with the top-rated precious metals company, Gold Co., Why? Because reputation matters. Gold Co. is a six-time Inc. 5000 winner, and it was 2022 Company of the Year. And also, Gold Co. helped people like you place over $2 billion in gold and silver orders. Right now, the good folks at Gold Co. are are offering Victor Davis Hanson Show listeners and VDH fans up to $10,000 in Bonus silver. Yes, I said bonus silver. When opening a qualified IRA account, this is your opportunity to protect yourself from our out-of-control, corrupt government. Don't pass it up. Grab your phone. Take action today. Call Gold Co. at 855-933-0780. I'm going to repeat that. That's called Gold Co., at eight five five nine three three zero seven eight zero, and we thank the good people at Gold Co. for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. 
So, Victor, there are two Catholic stories, but maybe we just have time for for one, because we I think we also want to get to this the the forthcoming your thoughts on the, these uh, charges that are likely to be coming out in the next few days. Um, FBI Director Ray went before Congress um, a few months ago or a few weeks ago when it ca- had come out earlier this year that the Richmond office of the FBI was investigating what we call traditional Catholics. You know, there are practicing Catholics, but then they're traditional usually means folks who who prefer their religious service the old way, Latin mass. But these were folks who who are who, who practice, who go to Latin mass, probably conservative. I don't know anyone who'd be a liberal who'd go to them, but maybe. Um, everything's seen politically, right, Victor? So they must be. They have the they have the earmarkings, uh, uh, earmarks according to some of the uh, uh, FBI staff of of uh, being potential domestic terrorists. So he was called before Congress. Oh, this is terrible! And as soon as I heard about it, stop this. This is not what the FBI is like. Well, it's freaking yeah, it's what the FBI is like because this past week, more information has come out about this. FBI offices in Los Angeles and Portland, and for some reason, I think Louisiana, were also involved in this. So it was much wider spread. And okay, you know, I'm Catholic. We 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 joke around a little bit about faith matters and angels and that sort of stuff, Victor. But you know, because you're someone practicing religion, our government, our, our through the FBI, thinks you may be a a, a threat. Uh, well, I mean, a second-class yeah, citizen and, and lies about it. Yeah, this is a Catholic version of selective harassment of Protestants, which remember, they don't go after Unitarians or Episcopalian. They're always after evangelicals and the cake guy or the person in Utah or the Mormons or the person uh, that was at a... Uh, pro-life that they swarmed his house when he family research council exactly yeah the absolutely group by the southern, southern so the, law center so right. the, in their view catholics are bifurcated in the same way they don't go after catholic liberation theologists they don't go after the minority ca- uh, catholic communities because they would lose constituents they go after a particular subset of catholics uh the people who go to they're in a diocese where a bishop or some high Catholic official will not give the rights rituals to a particular politician who's openly pro-abortion on demand or people who want to hear the mass in Latin, what they feel are, you know, old reactionary. So that's what they're doing. And the thing about Ray is different. He's He's uh, a little bit different than Mueller and Comey and McCabe. And that is, you know, they just say, I can't remember, or uh, that was what they did. Remember, Mueller couldn't remember Fusion GPS or the Steele dossier, and Comey couldn't remember 245 times under oath. But Ray always says, and McCabe, you know, lied four times to federal investigators, but Ray's always, I'm here to help you. Whatever it needs, I'll look that up. Yes, I'd, I'd like to talk, but I got to get going. I have an appointment. I uh, get, on, get on my Gulfstream and go to my vacation home. And yes, that will be forthcoming. And yes, we're going to call. I don't know, uh, but we'll find out. That's what he does. He has this pseudo veneer of cooperation. And then he's the most obstructive of all of them. 
he he they did they had to the whistleblower stuff about the Bidens. He he didn't want to give up any of that, and he be, he turned in. It was under his watch that the FBI turned on turned into a retrieval service for the wayward Biden family. Remember, they went after Ashley Biden's diary that she abandoned in a a house which she rented or a room that she rented. They went after you know the laptop and the people associated with it made sure that we all knew by paying Twitter as a contractor that it was Russian disinformation. That was Anthony Blinken and Mike Morrell's gambit. And they probably had a hand in this with the Secret Service and finding another wayward Biden missing item. And that was Hunter's gun that was uh, fraudulently registered by him lying under oath line, I guess, to on an affidavit. So that's who he is. And that's what the FBI is. And their attitude is sort of like Merrick Garland's. We're an old institution. We're vital to American security. And I cannot be- believe you're even questioning it. It's kind of like the Pentagon, too. So I can tell you that if I on these podcasts have suggested that the FBI should be broken up, I don't mean dissolved. I mean, broken up. So its various branches could be harbored in Homeland Security, Department of Treasury, Department of Justice, Department of Interior, and its headquarters moved to Kansas City or something. Or if you suggest, why don't we just not weigh the exemptions for generals to come back as Department Secretary of Defense's secretary, or let's enforce the Uniform Code of Military Justice that the retired judge, uh, generals and admirals do not disparage the commander in chief with uh, epithets like coward, liar, Nazi, Mussolini, or Let's just suggest that uh, when you leave the Pentagon, you got to have five years before you can go to work and capitalize on the people you know very well who used to work under you in the military. Five years before you can work for Lockheed, uh, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Northrop, etc. You know what I get? I get emails. I know you attack the Pentagon. I thought you were conservative and patriotic. How dare you attack the FBI? And that, that's that's where we are. But you know, I don't I'm not attacking. I want to save the FBI. I, I think it's a necessary institution. I want to save the Pentagon and the military. The people who are destroying it are the left. And they've they've broken their vow to follow the foundational mission of these agencies. There were apolitical met, uh, agencies and there were rules and regulations that prevented them from using ideology as a method, mechanism to warp it and be selective in their application of their duties. And they are the betrayers, same way the CIA. John Brennan betrayed the CIA. He knew he was there on day one in the Obama Oval Office when he told them that uh, Hillary Clinton had been hiring a foreign national to compile dirt on Donald Trump under the guise of Russian collusion. And there were people involved with the CIA that were furthering that. And he he himself lied twice under oath. So that's the problem uh, with all of these agencies. And the FBI is goes, what, I guess the better question, just to finish the segment, Jack, is what will the FBI not do? What will the FBI Amen. Yeah, everybody out there listening, some of you say, well, Victor, 
I know what they won't do. They won't go to school board meetings and try to eavesdrop and see if they can go after parents because the teachers unions have told uh, the attorney general who's told the FBI that they're terrorists. You know, they did that. Uh, they won't go after an ex-president and show up with a SWAT team in front of his house uh, over an archival dispute in a way they would never do with Joe Biden. No, they did that. And they won't. Uh, we had what, what was the reason? I don't know. There was a 300 pound. Five, six, 74 year old nut who was writing threatening letters. And they he was just killed by the FBI. I don't know. I don't they haven't released any of the details, but the guy couldn't walk, really. So he was housebound and he was just a nut writing stuff, threatening this, threatening that. Don't you think you could find a way to shut off his power or something or wait till he waddled into his car to drive his 200 yards to church services and just intercept him without getting into a confrontation and shooting him? Because you think he's going to shoot Joe Biden, he's not going to shoot anybody. But it's it's lost all of the public trust, and it's it's sad. Yeah, the, the last thing I'll say, Victor, is about this particular Catholic situation. Is the you know the early thought was okay? You got one nut in a in the Richmond office. Someone with a bug up is you know behind, and he's behind it. But no, the fact that it's wider spread and here and many other issues of pro-lifers, parents, et cetera, that agents can feel empowered to do these kind of things that are very ideological is is quite disturbing and a sign that there's there's rot there. And it's it's been there for a while. This just doesn't happen overnight too much so. power it's too much i think everybody in the conservative side has come to the conclusion that there's too much power that doesn't have civilian audit by lifetime employees of bureaucracies that have enormous budgets and they're concentrated in washington and they tend to be asymmetrical politically and they can they can do a lot of damage unless they're audited and checked and so uh, that's the problem Got to yeah. break break up all of these agencies, move them out, farm out their cut back radically on their payroll, move them into other agencies, but do not create an independent Washington-based, secretive, non-transparent FBI or CIA or DOJ with an unlimited budget to go after people. And if you do that, you're going to end up with them hiring Twitter to suppress a true story like the right. Hunter's laptop. Right. And just remember what the FBI did, everybody. They had that laptop for right. a year. Remember that they had that for a year and they knew it was authentic. And they sat there why morale and Blinken organized 51, 50 people, many of them former CIA and FBI people to say that this had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. In other words, they were telling the American people, you know what, you guys, Russians are, Russians are, those Ruskies are so clever that they took this laptop that looked just like Hunter's and they 
made pictures on it with prostitutes and coke. When, and the guy was a perfect actor. He looked just like Hunter. Right. And then they had Tony Bobolin. They knew exactly all the people that Hunter communicated, and they replicated all of his emails. They even had Hunter and his uh, sister talk disparaging Asian Americans when he was trying to have her help recruit uh, women for purposes of process. They were brilliant and they did all of that and they did it so well that Hunter didn't even know that it wasn't his because he, when he was asked, he said, I'm not saying yes or no. That was how good the FBI uh, found out about these Russian operatives. And nobody, right. be nobody believes that. And yet they ask American people to believe it, just like they ask us to believe that Mr. Weiss is a disinterested, unbiased special counsel, and he will get to the bottom of the Biden thing very rapidly and quickly. No, he won't. Now, he was picked precisely that he would not do that. Well, Victor, we have time for one other significant uh, item. As I'm looking at the, the Judge Report, the, the homepage, big, big banner, indictment watch, Trump team, Behind voting system breach, Georgia grand jury soon. Victor, it seems like uh, you know that this is not news. News that there was going to be another a big indictment, shoot a drop against uh, Donald Trump, but it it's coming, and there is a new angle here re regarding uh, the quote unquote Trump team. Victor, do you have any thoughts about this? Well, I mean, Donald Trump tweeted that. Fanny Willis, I kind of calls her phony Fanny, that she was incompetent. She was racist. She I know that she had indicted a state official in uh, Georgia with bogus charges, and he was totally exonerated and elected. Then she used that to raise funds for so she doesn't have a sterling record. But when Trump, you know, says that she's phony and that she had a amorous relationship with a gang member that she was investigating as a prosecutor and she's racist. Uh, he's basically wants to have a showdown. And that is, will will she dare uh, ask the judge and would the judge grant a gag order? And he's going to be shocked. I think maybe he wants this to show you the bankruptcy of our system, but what I see happening from Jack Smith and Fanny, this is the third prosecutor now, uh, along with Alvin Bragg, and we're going to get Miss James in New York. And I guess John, I guess Donald Trump thinks, you know what? There could be three to five hundred indictments. This thing's cost me fifty million bucks. It's going to cost another fifty million, and they're going to put me before uh, a inner city. Jury in New York, maybe in Washington, maybe in Atlanta, maybe in Miami, and they're going to nullify any evidence, and I'm dead, cooked. And so I might as well just bring it on, just try to see, yell and insult them too and see if they like it. The thing that's weird is among all of Trump's crude bombast, he has a point that you can't have these special Soros elected prosecutors going after him for for things that they never go after anybody else and then leaking leak. They all leak just like Mueller's and then telling him that he can't even consult 
particular documents unless his lawyer is there, much less talk about them. So he's not going to do this. And we don't know how it's so volatile, Jack. We have no idea how this is going to end up. We've never been here before. We have never been here before. We have a 2024 election where the leading uh, Republican very early, but the leading candidate was a president and he is running against another president whose administration, at least in the case of one of the prosecutors, is going after Donald Trump and trying to neuter a possible, if not likely, opponent of Joe Biden in the general election. We've never had a president who was up for re-election with a special prosecutor going after him now, not after him, but nominally after him, while Donald Trump, the purported leading challenger is facing a lot of legal legal jeopardy, as I said, in part from Joe Biden. So we've never been here before. And when you look at the things, if we're going to criminalize what Alvin Bragg said, that all of these candidates to the degree, what was, you know, Bill Clinton had a bimbo eruption where he had a special team that went all through Arkansas and environs and tried to find every woman he could remember that he'd slept with and had non agreements and see if they could somehow, nobody ever put him up in jail. I mean, they finally got him for lying under an app when he said he didn't have sex and the Paula Jones laws, that was a civil suit. But my gosh, they 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 got Trump on a campaign violation. Bragg thinks he does, and James is going to get him a campaign violation. Oh, that was that was uh, 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 an expenditure for your campaign that that non disclosure, and therefore you didn't report it. And there, that's a felony, kind of like Hillary's hundred thousand dollar fine, which is slap on the wrist for paying Christopher Steele over a million dollars to destroy Donald Trump's campaign, keep it off the books. She never was indicted by anybody. And the same thing, as we know, with James is you're going to indict everybody in New York that has exaggerated on their property portfolio to get a loan, a loan which they got and which they paid back on time. Then you're going to you might as well get a 5000 prosecutors. And if you're going to prosecute everybody who takes out documents as president, and has a beef with the archivist. Uh, you're going to have you can have the Obamas. You're going to have Bill Clinton. You're going to have all of them. The only problem with Donald Trump was he was rude and crude about it. And he just said, screw you. I'm not going to. And that was the big difference. But Joe Biden was a vice president and a senator. He didn't have any authority to declassify anything. And he had them in three unsecure locations. And he didn't cooperate with the archivist. That was a leftist trope when he got caught. In other words, when somebody discovered it, we're going to cooperate. No, you didn't cooperate because you had it for 15 years. All you had to do was, you know, in 2008, 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. All you had to do during that long period is say, hey, National Archivist, this is former Senator Joe Biden and Vice President Joe Biden. And I've got stuff at my house that's maybe classified. Could you come and take a look? No, he didn't. So when you got such fast asymmetries, I don't know what, what the effect is. The short-term effect is it's given a lot of empathy, I think, as the left plan for Donald Trump. 
but whether that will sustain itself in the general election if he's got, you know, hundreds of indictments and he's not been. I mean, when you listen to his rallies, he does have a, uh, an online uh, plan for America that's very comprehensive. It's very similar to Ron DeSantis. They're both comprehensive. But when he's at those rallies, Jack, he's talking more and more about his anger at, of his judicial right. miasma and much right. less about the border and crime and Ukraine and energy, etc. And so that was the point that the left is trying to do. And it's very right. tragic because you can see what they're doing and you can see how they lie about it, but no one has figured out how to stop them. The only thing that's going to stop them is you get a Republican candidate who makes the argument that these have been the disaster years under the left and then gets that person elected. They increase the margin in the House and they take the Senate and they can't be a rhino because the rhinos won't do anything. It has to be a solid movement conservative. And you get somebody like that. With it, uh, and then you can do something. But that's what the left is trying. That's the subtext of behind all of this. Stop right. that. Well, Victor, um, we have a little more time, but as we close out the show, we're going to uh, hear you. You have some books you would like to talk about, and we're going to get to that and talk a little bit about your website and maybe another thing or two right after this final important message. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'd like to remind our listeners and inform our new listeners, which I I think we have a lot every week, of your Victor's uh, official website. It's called The Blade of Perseus, and its web address is victorhanson.com. I'd like to recommend that you, uh, like voting in Chicago, go there early and often. You will find links to uh, all Victor's, uh, well, I can't say all, but many of Victor's appearances, the archives of these podcasts, links to Victor's uh, syndicated columns and weekly essays for American Greatness, and his ultra articles. Ultra articles are pieces he writes two or three a week that are exclusive to the Blade of Perseus. You can read them if you have a subscription. That costs you five bucks to get in the door, and it's discounted at $50 for a full year. If you're a fan of Victor's writings, you have to subscribe. So go there, 
VictorHanson.com. That's the Blade of Perseus. And uh, uh, subscribe or even sign up for the weekly emails that uh, are sent out. As for me, Jack Fowler, I write Civil Thoughts, a free, free weekly email newsletter for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil, where we are trying to strengthen civil society. And I present 14 uh, uh, recommended readings, great articles I've come across in the previous week, and I provide a link and a, uh, an excerpt from the piece, and I think you'll like it. I, I hear a lot from our listeners that they enjoy it, and it provides them uh, information uh, about uh, new websites that they've never been to before. So I'm glad that's working working out. Go to civilthoughts.com and, and sign up. Thank you for, for those who have done so. So, Victor, uh, you have a couple of books that are of interest to you and you wanted to let our listeners know about. What are they? Yeah, I've been getting uh, usually in the mid. I get caught up a little bit in the middle of a month. I get a lot of books in the mail and some from friends, some not. And I try to, I don't have time to read them all, but uh, some that I do. And so I'm looking at three or four that I'm reading almost simultaneously. One is this, my friend, 20 years, Tom Soule, and he's got a, a new book, Social Justice Fallacies. And it's, in some ways, it's derivative of his entire life's work of research, trying to point out uh, everything from uh, what racial policy was uh, and how it affected blacks before the Great Society versus after the Great Society. The other is just to try to talk about slavery and racism and try to show that these were global phenomena and they were much more egregious, say, in the Arab world or even in Africa. And what was unique about the West was it was the only civilizational culture that tried to and did succeed in outlawing slavery and which had not been and slavery had not been predicated by race but it's so i i'd urge all you to get it it's a very short book and it just has a summary pretty much of his life's work but calibrated to show uh the fallacies that's the, right what he's can talking I, about of contemporary, can I just, contemporary you, issues yeah, you're reading a galley um, or pre-copy, so the, I just think folks should know that the book comes out in is formally published in mid-September. Yes, so they can another, pre-order it now yeah, on they, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. you get it another month, and then another yeah. one I'm reading, and I just started this one was uh, Mark Levin, and I consider Mark a very good friend. The Democratic Party hates America, and some of you are going to say, "Well, hates America." Uh, what do you mean by that? And what he's trying to say is he's talking about the Democratic Party today. And when you start reading in depth, what Mark is saying is that the Democratic Party had this potential that it was on the left and the constitutional constitutional history of this country, the Declaration, the Constitution, the Federalist Papers, early court decisions. It was an antithetical to the French Revolution. It was not a revolution that guaranteed an equality of result, but of opportunity. And as the left became more and more, especially in the 20th century, the party of redistribution and equality, it started to despise 
the foundational documents. And now it's reached its zenith with this new Democratic Party that hates America. What he means by that is they hate the United States that still functions to some degree according to the foundation documents. And I kind of wrote, I would agree with him because I wrote a lot about the dynasties. They hate the idea of two senators. They hate the idea of the Electoral College. They hate the idea of the Supreme Court now that it's conservative, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a, it's a damning indictment uh, of modern day leftism. He wants to get rid of the idea that there is a kind of, oh, Adlai Stevenson leftist and Eisenhower, or there's a JFK on the Democratic side, and then there's an, a Nixon. Uh, maybe even an LBJ or Bill Clinton versus, you know, a uh, Barry Goldwater. It's different. These from the age of Obama on are revolutionaries. They they're they're way beyond the leftward mainstream of the Democratic Party. They hate America as they see it. They want it to crumble and be rebooted, recalibrated like a phoenix arise from the ashes as a utopian socialist republic. There's another book, and I'm reading, and I'm almost done with this one, Radical Mind by David uh, Horowitz. I know he's written a lot, and this is sort of like Tom Sowell, and I think David is 84 now, and he has summed up everything he's written in the past. But this time, like Tom did on social and economic matters, he's applied it to the last three to four years of woke abortion and crime and the university and the border, etc. And he's trying to show everybody that this was the logical culmination of leftism. It had to end this way because it was getting more radical and more radical. So over the last hundred years, yesterday's, you know, counter-revolution, counter-revolutionary is today's public enemy. Yesterday's radical leftist hero is today's sellout. It just kept getting more and more radical. And it's it's pretty frightening. And what he's trying to say is what makes it scary is that when he was a radical in his 20s, before he flipped to the conservative side some almost 60 years ago, there was this Democratic Party that Mark Levine had chronicled, had turned in from a leftist, you know, redistributionist party to a, a wacko socialist Marxist party of today. And that's what, what Horowitz is saying. What's really scary about it is in the old days, there was an establishment that they reacted against, that he, they marched against the Pentagon. They marched against the college president. They marched against the police. They marched against the FBI headquarters. Today, the FBI headquarters, the CIA headquarters, the corporate board headquarters, the Pentagon, they're the left-wing revolutionaries. They're either the 60s generation or 70s, or 80s, or they're the children that were brought up by that revolution. So it's a revolution, not just from the bottom up, but from the top down. And so it's a, I thought it was, it was uh, pretty good. And, you know, there's a fourth book very quickly that I just started by Daniel Greenfield. I know him a little bit, not well, but he works 
at the Horowitz Center. He's got a book called Domestic Enemies, The Founding Fathers Fight Against the Left. And what he's saying, Jack, is he's taking the argument way back earlier than the Democratic Party of the 1930s or 40s or 50s or 60s that Horowitz says transmogrified from being left into what we have now. And Levine pointed that out. Tom sold it as well. But he's saying at the very beginning, the idea of a left in America that was redistributionist and didn't believe in personal liberty, but in uh, egalitarianism uh, or equality by result as the French Revolution, this was a danger from the very beginning. And he was trying to say how that left wing hatred of the founders manifests itself. It manifests itself with inflationary, you know, the whole silver uh, greenback versus gold argument. He was talking about foreign policy. Uh, and then even in, remember the social utopian movements of the 1820s, where they set up these free love communities all yeah. in the Midwest. And, and then he goes into the labor movement, Samuel Gompers and Eugene Debs. And, uh, they're going into the riots and we forget that. And he's really hard on their Democratic Party because he makes the argument that the one party that was just adamant that race was the central problem in the, in the United States. And it was the idea that blacks were now numbering several million and they did not deserve to be protected under the Constitution. And that was entirely a Democratic monopoly, at least party wise. Right. And so that these are four. It's a pretty interesting. That's kind of unique. And it's, it's chock full of historical examples. So all four are pretty good books. They all came and they're kind of tangentially related to each other. So if anybody's yeah. interested, they're all going to be coming out in the next 30 or 40 days. And they sell. Uh, I mean, everybody knows Tom Soule's books are wonderful. They know Mark oh, yeah. Levin's books. They've read David Horowitz for half century. And I think Daniel Greenfield's less well known, but this is a this is kind of a unique book. I, I didn't quite. I know, I know the right all the left always says, "Don't ever say that we were the party for slavery." And con that was not us. That was just a imaginary Democratic Party. And after the Civil War, uh, you know, in the South, that was just the Southern bastardization of our party. And then, you know, you guys voted against the, the civil rights. No, it wasn't. No. A, it wasn't a bastardized form because right. it was based on radical egalitarianism, redistribution. And you looked at African-Americans as threats to that. And. So it was inherent in the DNA of the Democratic Party going way back. That's his argument. And I haven't yeah. finished the book to adjudicate it, but it looks very interesting. I think people should take, give it a look. OK, I, so I, I, if I had if I had to bet, Victor, I'm sure our listeners, they would like to hear you on, on one of your, your occasional special Victor interviews podcast talk with uh, Tom Sowell. I'll try. I'll try. Uh, I'll, I'll try to yeah. do that right away. Yeah, I, yeah that would be terrific. And, yeah, we, uh, we. yeah. Well, Victor, we have. Uh, we're going to wrap it up by uh, thanking our listeners for doing just that, listening, and to those especially who via Apple and iTunes leave rate the show, which you can zero to five stars. Practically everyone gives it. 
five stars, over 4.9 average for this so since it's uh, first started a couple of years back. Some people leave comments. We read them. I read them uh, on on uh, uh, Apple. I also read the comments on, on your website, which are, oh my gosh, the ones in response to your most recent American greatness uh, essay is that's there's like 120 comments there already it's terrific stuff but anyway we have one from michigan judy who writes never miss an episode in my opinion victor is the smartest person in the podcast world and that's why i listen to him whenever he is on he is calm so informative and fact-based if i was running for office i would follow his advice michigan judy you know, Victor, I, I hope there are some people running for president who would follow your advice also. Uh, Michigan Judy, maybe you'll run for office someday for president. Victor will, Victor will uh, give you a 10-point plan. So thank you to her and everyone else that uh, takes the time to uh, uh, give their opinion. Thank you, Victor, for all the wisdom you shared today. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening.